Today we're going to be talking about composing your own practice etudes. Coming up next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 37. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. As this episode is coming out at the end of August, let me go ahead and wish all of the all of the students, teachers, and then of course all of the administrative staff and uh, you know bus drivers, everybody associated with school, just a happy 2023-24 school year. Uh, hope that everything will be smooth and successful, and everybody will be safe. And for all of you private teachers out there. Probably some of you just adjusting your schedules to uh, to accommodate all of the activities that your students are doing that may be different from the previous school year. Thank you for your flexibility and just for continuing to be mentors in the world of music for students of all ages. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. This podcast is all about the craft of musicianship. It's about developing the tools that will enable you to become a more complete a more well-rounded musician to develop to your maximum potential. So my topic for today's episode was actually a response to a listener. I have a listener named Julie who reached out not too long ago with an email that, that read as follows. Thank you for your podcasts. I just found both of them recently after deciding to pick up the French horn again after not playing for a long time. On your episode about practice, you mentioned writing etudes to help with a difficult part in a song. That's such a great idea. While practicing a tough measure, I've thought, I wish I knew a specific etude that would help me with this. The thing is, I have no idea where to start. Could you refer me to a resource that helps with beginning composition, specifically regarding etudes? And she said that, that it could even be an episode that she hadn't heard yet. And I responded by saying that this is actually a very good episode idea, that I had not come up with any composition-specific episodes so far to talk as far as actually doing it. We've talked to composers, but we haven't talked about composing very much. We've talked about theory, we've talked about score study. And I said that this would be something that, uh, that I definitely should talk about. I did ask if she could send me some examples, like one or two specific examples that might help be more relevant. And, and she did. So what I'm going to do for this episode is I'm going to go through the two examples, they're very short, and I'm going to talk about just some ideas of how to create an etude from that. And then I'll throw in a few other general thoughts toward the end of that. So this probably won't be a very long episode. I will do my best. This is audio only. Uh, I'm at the moment not putting anything visual on YouTube other than just the thumbnail with the audio feed for this podcast. But if you would be interested in a transcription of anything that I use as a demonstration on this episode, please send me a message to let me know. So regarding both of the excerpts that she sent... She said that essentially large jumps in notes are particularly difficult, especially when the notes have different fingerings and require both embouchure and finger changes. And she asks, as far as composition of etudes, I wonder if they usually focus on one element or several. 
are they usually written per instrument or for an entire orchestra? Is there some method for progressively working on a particular problem in an etude or a set of related etudes? Because if I stick with the hard measure in an etude, then I might as well just practice the piece itself, if that makes sense. Are there well-known etudes that have been written to help learn famous, difficult passages, solos, audition excerpts? Other etude ideas I had were making some in difficult keys, and especially with lots of accidentals. How does one know or decide to use an accidental anyways? So, first of all, I just want to say, you know, once again, Julie, thank you for reaching out. These are all very good questions, and there's a lot of questions in here, but I'm going to, I want to specifically answer one. I think it was the third one that you asked in, in this latest set. And she said, is there some method for progressively working on a particular problem in an etude or a set of related etudes? And you've kind of locked in on it. So as I said in a very early episode, I think one of the best practice tips that I could ever offer anybody is one problem at a time. So if we're talking about a problem of doing some leaps that require embouchure and finger changes, to me that is three exercises that you want to have. You want three types of etudes. You want an exercise that just focuses on your embouchure change. You want an exercise that prioritizes fingering changes. And you want at least one exercise that combines them together. Now I'm going to answer some of the other questions uh, that she asked, but let me, let's first go into this first example that she sent me. So this first example is in the written key of F major. Now I did not ask uh, for verification, but I assume that this is written for horn and F. So I'm going to make that assumption and I'm going to play it in the concert key of B flat major, transposing down a fifth from the way it's written so that hopefully this will be what it sounds like in concert pitch. Okay, so speaking visually, uh, this is what the French hornist would see. It's in 3-8 time, and it's a uh, C dotted quarter tied across the bar line to an eighth note. There's a breath mark. You jump up to uh, a seventh, a minor seventh, to a B flat, and right back down to the middle C in eighth notes. And then rhythmically, you have uh, the same thing the next two measures, dotted quarter tied to an eighth, and then followed by two eighths. And so you're going to a written G, tied to a G, a breath, skipping down to middle C, and then up an octave to the next C. Okay, before I go on, I want to address Julie's comment that she had after the question regarding on whether or not uh, it, it's a good idea to have a set of progressive etudes. And, and what she says is because if she just sticks the hard measure in an etude, then she might as well just practice the piece itself. So first of all, I just want to go ahead and say that is a solution. It's <laughs> just practice the, the hard measure itself, just the leaps up and down. That said, there is a benefit to coming up with an etude based on the problems that you're having this in this particular example. And that is something that I addressed on another episode of the Musician Toolkit about the cumulative effects of practice. And that is when you work hard on certain skills, those skills, when you need them again, become easier. So what you're doing, you're not, you're not just saying that you want to get better at 
these specific measures, but you want to improve the ability to play in certain ways that if you come across something similar to this again, or even a little, you know, a little bit different, but it still uses the same uh, techniques, you're not going to have to spend so much time on that specific measures. Maybe you feel like you need to on this one. Okay, I haven't played French horn in a while, but let's go back to this uh, exercise and I'll see if I can kind of help guide what I would do with something like this. Okay, so first we want to just work on the embouchure. We don't want to think about the fingerings. You're coming from a middle C going up and back to a middle C in basically two different measures. First time you're going up to a, uh, a minor seventh to a B flat. Next time you're going up an octave to a C. Now actually this is probably a bad exercise to even talk about fingerings because at least in these four measures uh, everything is open valve except for the B flat which would be just a first first valve. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to line up starting with middle C all of the notes that I can play with without pressing any valves and on a French horn if you start with the middle C without pressing any valves at all you can go up to the next E, a third above, then a G, then a B flat, and then a C. And you can actually start stepping up, and I would actually encourage this. I would go to the next D, and then E, and then F, and I think we'll stop there. So now I'll tell you why in just, just a second. Now, I don't know if you happen to be playing on a double horn, which is to say uh, that you're playing on a horn that has a thumb valve. A lot of horn players will use this trigger or this thumb valve to get especially notes that are above a certain level like above a written G second line on treble clef staff. Well engaging that thumb trigger is actually going to create a finger exercise and I'm also a big fan of not doing things the easy way when you're trying to improve something. So the thing that I remember about French horn is if I could play something on the single horn side without using the thumb valve and I could control the tone, then I absolutely could control my embouchure and the tone if I then added the thumb. And again, you're not practicing these specific measures, you're practicing the skills to play these measures better. So this first exercise, I would say, don't use your thumb valve at all this is just in fact don't press any valves at all this is all just your lip and you may want to use a metronome and go slower than i'm recommending here but i would take the rhythm of that you have in this in these two measures so you're in three eight time you play middle c as a dotted quarter tied to an eighth and then we're going to go up to one of these notes as an eighth note and right back down to the middle c and what you may want to do first is just play one of these patterns by by itself and then take a significant breath and repeat it or when you're ready go on to the next one so all we're going to do is just take this middle c and go up to the next note that we can play without a valve so we're going to go up to the e and back and we're going to take when you're ready we're going to take that c tie it across and go up to the G and back and again repeat as needed till you feel comfortable when you're ready go on to the next one 
G up to a B flat and back. Now I know that in real music you might put down the first valve for a B flat, but this is part of the overtone series for the horn on a single horn. You can play the note without pressing any valves. So it may not sound as great as putting the first valve down, but that's okay. This is a good practice for your ear and for your lip. So you're gonna go from middle C up to the B flat, but without pressing any valves and back. Now you continue, C up to the octave C and back. Now I want you to keep going. I want you to go C up to the D and back, C up to the E and back, and C up to the F and back. Now why would I have you do that? It's because there's a psychological phenomenon that helps us relax when we can do more than what's asked. So this is why I often say to students, if, if the tempo needs to be 108, practice it up to 120. If you need to jump up to an octave, how much easier will that be if you can get pretty good at jumping up an 11th? Yes, learn the skill that you need, but once you have it at a certain tempo and you're comfortable with it, keep on going to get it under control a little faster than you need it. Or if it's a slow tempo and you're having to really focus on keeping a slow beat once you get comfortable with it go even slower and if you've got to jump an octave jump a ninth jump a tenth jump an eleventh keep it under control this is really the same kind of effect that you'll see actually i haven't noticed if baseball players still do this but when i was growing up i would see them have a weight on their baseball bat and they're warming up with it and then they take that weight off and now their bat feels lighter by comparison. You're going to play any music you want to much better if you're relaxed as you're playing and not feeling like you have to give it your all to get exactly what you're supposed to play. Okay, so now you want to do another exercise that addresses the same concern, but from the fingering side of things. So, but at the same time, it's very easy to go ahead and add some progressive ranges. So really we're just going to do a chromatic scale exercise with this. We're going to take that same rhythm, dotted quarter note, middle C, tied to an eighth note. We're going to go up to a note and back down to the middle C in eighth notes. So same rhythm of one, two, three, one, two, three. So the first note you want to go up to is just a D flat. Now for all of this, I'm going to say use the fingerings that you would normally do. You could make an extra deluxe exercise out of it by making it uh, F side fingering and then B flat side fingering and you could certainly do that if you want to but I think it's enough if you simply just take the fingering that you would use for the D flat on uh, on whatever horn you would use I presume it's still the F horn at this point and probably would stay the F horn until you get to at least a G where then you might uh, and again I'm assuming you have a double horn but if, if you're practicing on that that's where you would put the thumb valve in. So just the fingerings that you would use, but we just start off with going C up to a D flat and back. C up to a D and back. C up to an E flat and back. C up to an E and back. C up to an F and back. And I think you get the idea, keep going until you've made the octave. So you go up to G flat, then G, 
then A flat, A, B flat, B, and C. And you may want to combine this exercise in different ways. So the first is just focus on one at a time and just really try to make sure that all the notes sound really good. Uh, but then you have a nice chromatic exercise that you can do from start to finish and one that might sound a little bit like this. I'll just play like the first few measures. And so on. So I hope that that will help you with that particular exercise. But again, I want to recap how I went about that so that it makes sense when you're doing something like this on your own. And uh, all I did first was I took the rhythm of the example and just kind of let that be the basis of the exercise. And then, as you said, there's a problem with the embouchure, but also the fingering. So we separated them. We, we came up with an exercise on that rhythm that just uses no valves at all. And we also took the concept that we're going to go beyond what we need. We're going to go beyond the octave so that we can relax into the octave. And then the other exercise that we decided to do is basically make a chromatic scale out of it so that we can work on the different fingering combinations that come with a chromatic scale. Now, I thought going into it that that could be a situation where we want to come up with a third exercise that combines it. But really, I think you're covering it. And of course, at the same time, you can work on the piece itself, but I think this will make it easier. So the second example that you sent is in the written key of A major for the French horn, which would be a concert key of D major. And this one is in 6-8. So this has a, uh, a rhythm pattern of quarter-eighth dotted quarter, with that dotted quarter tied to an eighth. After breath mark, you have two eighth notes, a dotted eighth, three sixteenths, and then the rhythm pattern you started with, which is a quarter eighth dotted quarter tied to the next measure. Sorry, that's probably horrible for audio, but uh, I'm going to count off one, two, three, four, five, six, and then play this example. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So this excerpt is a little bit more complicated, so let's go about it a couple of different ways. If you, uh, This is actually a three-measure example, and, and you have a rhythm pattern in the first and third measures that's identical. You have a written D-sharp EA, that quarter, eighth dotted quarter, which is tied to the next measure on the first measure, and then you have an A, C-sharp, F-sharp in the third measure. Again, that F-sharp is tied. So if we play that first measure and put a fermata on the last note and then take the third measure and put it on the last note. Well, you have the basis for a different type of etude here. So we talked about in the previous example that we worked on, this is what I call like basic etudes. They're, they're basically just exercises that um, you know, they, they help you achieve something, but at the same time, nothing that we did on the previous excerpt is something that you would play for anybody in public. You know, it's like in piano, we have, you know, what are called the, the Hannon exercises, the virtuoso piano by Hannon, 
And, uh, you know, some pianists say that that's outdated and there's no need to use them. I, I happen to disagree. I think there's a lot of use for them, but I would agree with them that I would not play any of them in public. Uh, you know, maybe with the possible exception of number 60, which has a, some nice musical qualities to it. But then you have other etudes. Again, for piano, you know, some of the most famous examples are probably the etudes written by Chopin, which you can play as concert pieces. They sound like very good music. So I want to take the second excerpt, and uh, I want to take those two measures I just played and show you how you can come up with the first four measures of your own composition and etude. So if we play that measure one, followed by measure three, we could come up with a third measure pattern that would then take you back to measure one. So that's a four measure excerpt that would sound like this. Okay, and then going on, you could take that rhythm and you could explore some different combinations of taking the intervals. You're going up a second, then you're going up a fourth. So if you do it in different spots, this is called a sequence. And then you bring that to a close and you can experiment with some ways that sounds good, but I might come up with this. And so now I have the first eight measures of an etude based on that first and third measure from your excerpt. Now you might be content with just that, just this little eight measure excerpt that you're using to kind of play around with this measure some more. But you could also keep going. You could build on that. Take another eight measure phrase, let that rhythm and let the intervals be the guide. But, you know, you may, uh, you know, like that third measure actually doesn't go up a second and a fourth it goes up a third then a fourth so you may play around with a third then a fourth or a fourth then a third or maybe instead of a second and a fourth you take a second and then a fifth you kind of play around with it and you know do some arpeggios do some filler in between and, and again when you're doing composition it's okay if you if you try something you don't like it you can always erase it or if you're putting it in finale or whatever if you're writing it if you're typing it in you can delete it and um, do something else. Now let's take the middle measure of your excerpt here. So this measure, if I just play it all by itself, it's uh, starting on a written A, going down uh, a sixth to C sharp, up a fourth to F sharp, this is all eighth notes. And then we go down a fifth to B, which is a dotted eighth note. And then we have these three sixteenth notes, which is E, D, B, getting below middle C, and then we're going down to an A for the next measure that it's an octave lower than where we started. Uh, okay, again, I know that's just head spinning to try to, to follow if you don't have the written score in front of you. So the measure I'm talking about and landing into the measure that follows sounds like this. So one of the compositional techniques that I mentioned earlier is that of a sequence, which is where you take the identical intervals and you just move it to a different starting pitch. So you're starting a step higher, you're starting a step lower, or something like that. This might be a good exercise to try some different compositional techniques. For example, inversion. And that is to say that you take the intervals of that second measure, which is you play a note, go down a sixth, up a fourth, down a fifth, like this. 
and maybe start an octave lower and reverse the direction of the intervals. So instead of going down a sixth, go up a sixth. Instead of going up a fourth, go down a fourth. And instead of going down a fifth, go up a fifth. So take an octave lower than that A, so the A that you're gonna end up on, two, two lines below treble clef, and go up a sixth, down a fourth, up a fifth. And that would sound like this. Now you take the direction of your last four notes and reverse the direction. And you put it together. Here is your complete inverted phrase. Now here's what it sounds like if you put the original phrase with the inverted phrase. So those are just a few ideas. What you're doing is you're, you're taking the measure you have and you're exploring the different ways of coming up with an exercise based off of that measure. You're taking the, the interval patterns, you're, you may be taking the rhythm patterns, and you can even flip it around. What goes up can now flip to go down, and you could even take it higher. You could even uh, put this put this excerpt, uh, I mean, up an octave might be a little bit high for this excerpt, but if you had something that was a very small range, you could certainly put it up an octave or down an octave. One of the important points here is that I hope that you understand is that there, there are no ironclad rules. And that's the thing with composition is you want to use this as an, uh, as an opportunity to be creative, to really analyze what's there with the music and what can you do to get more out of that particular music. And it's, and it's a way to also have fun in your practice besides just playing that measure over and over. And you're going to get the effects of cumulative practice that carry over to other types of pieces with similar problems that you have to overcome. Now, there is one question that you had uh, that, I mean, actually there's a couple of other questions I want to go ahead and get to. Uh, by the way, I apologize if you hear thunder in the background. I'm trying to finish recording this before a, a pending thunderstorm gets too close and it makes no more sense to keep recording. You asked about etudes. Are they usually written per instrument for an entire orchestra? So again, with the composition, there aren't that many rules. There are etudes for orchestra or for band, but there are also etudes for individual instrument. What you want to do is to practice for your particular instrument because that's how you're practicing. You also asked, are there well-known etudes that have been written to help learn famous difficult passages, solos, audition excerpts? And the answer to that is yes. Every instrument has their own etudes. There are, there are method books that go way beyond what like your, your middle school and high school band method books go through that you can explore. I highly recommend that you consult with a professional French horn player uh, or, if possible, a teacher to help guide you to specific repertoire. I could not be of any help of that. But no matter what your instrument is, yes, there, there are already exercises out there that can help you. Uh, going back to the Hannon exercises on piano, I frequently find exercises that are similar to a, a difficult measure in a piano piece that maybe one of my students is working on, and I will pair that exercise with the piece that they're working on. The only other question that I see that I, I didn't answer already was, uh, how does one know 
uh, or decide to use an accidental anyways. So an accidental just simply means it's not part of the key signature, it's not part of the key that you're playing. You want to make it sharp or flat, or in some cases you want to make it natural because it's supposed to be sharp or flat according to the key signature. And, and again, this is a creative thing that you can explore. You can just try it. Try, uh, one time I wrote a piece that it was supposed to be an F sharp and I forgot to include the sharp and it got played as a natural. And when I heard it played quote unquote incorrectly, I liked that better than what I'd come up with. So I hope that this is helpful for many of you as an introduction to composing your own practice etudes. And again, they can be short, they could be four measures, eight measures, or you could develop them into um, a full-length piece that you could pass on to your own students or to other people who might be playing you know, the same instrument and want a little bit of help. It could also be something that you do as a hobby. You start creating your own practice etudes and you compile your own book, your own method book. There's a lot of possibilities here besides the very practical one of just helping you with the main piece that you're working on. So just remember the main goals are to try to analyze what you have there one problem at a time and to use the material that you have to come up with variations or developments that help you understand the music and help you improve your ability to play whatever challenge the music is presenting. That's going to wrap up episode 37 of the Musician Toolkit. You can send me a message if you have any questions. Uh, All of the contacts are in the show notes as well as a link for Fonz, which you should definitely consider trying out. They keep adding features. They've recently added the ability to do expense reports. All handy stuff for your admin support that you need so that you're not having to spend so much time on it directly if you have a private studio of any kind. And if you got value from this episode, I would be so honored if you would share it with at least one other person. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, if you would please leave a five-star rating and review. And if you're following on YouTube, please click the thumbs up and make sure that you're subscribing if you're not already. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being back with you again next week.